Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Antonio Conte talks, the Gegen Pod reacts. We've got former Premier League stars Mark Schwartz and Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges on one of the meltdowns of the season and what it means for Spurs. We'll also chat about Roy's return to Palace, Mitrovic pushing referees, the fallout from El Clasico and a bumper international break that's coming up on Optus Sport. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegen Pod. So the big three are back on the Gegenpod this week. Mark Schwartzer, Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges. And Bridgie, you went with us last week, so I'll give you the new ball right off the top. Antonio Conte, the rant, the fallout. And at present, at the time of recording, still no resolution. What did you make of an incredible weekend for the Spurs manager? Well, it's great to be back. Um, good to see the lads. And I knew that you would be so excited about this because the Spurs man himself... Uh, listen... I am absolutely delighted at what he said. He's come out, he's called out the club, he's called out Daniel Levy, he's said how how toxic the club is, but I don't like the way he's questioned the players. I've got to say that. And, uh, you know, I think think he's got to go. Simple as that. And good riddance. (laughs) <laughs> is that it? I didn't know what to say. Is that it, Bridgie? Is that all you got to say? We thought you'd have a bit more than that. <laughs> I just, it's, I'm bewildered. I'm still absolutely bewildered. He, the geezer has lost the plot. He's absolutely lost it. He's been sucked in by the performances. He's been sucked in by the media. And I think he's actually done it so he can call the hand and say, sack me and I'll just go away with the money. Because he has got a very good track record. Um, you know, Serie B, he's won Serie B, he's won Serie A four times a UV into Milan, he's won the Premier League and FA Cup with Chelsea, he's got good pedigree and he's realised he's at a club where he can't get what he wants and that's a winning mentality and attitude because Tottenham will always be and always have been a trophyless club. But they, but they also are about developing players, right? And Conte hasn't got a track record of developing any players. That, that's the other bottom line. I mean, Jose Mourinho probably had the same issue um, <clears throat> with, with, with uh, Tottenham. They probably would have won a trophy had they have kept him in charge for six days longer, or at least seven days longer, um, and that was suicidal and getting rid of him. Um, Conte, look, I, I've said it right from the beginning. I don't, I don't think Conte uh, was the right man for the job anyway um, because he needs money. He needs money to build a team, and and, um, and we all know Spurs is not going to do that. Um, I, I liked also uh, Hoiberg came out today saying he wants uh, the manager to, to be more specific in his criticism. You know, uh, he wants more of an understanding as to what he meant by the player, you know, criticising the players. So I, I think, I, I, I'm I, look, I think he has to go. I don't think it's, I, I don't think there's any chance of him staying at the club. The players, I reckon he's lost all the players. I can't imagine one single player being behind the manager after such a rant. Um, if you're going to point fingers, point them properly. Don't just make a, a general a general uh, accusation of, uh, about the players, you know, name names. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with, um, you know, Bridget touched on it. I think they, there's a deeper issue and I, I think he he probably felt that he needed to point that out, that there's, you know, the, the strategy at the club. Um, there's obviously a, been a lot of money, a lot of 
time invested into the stadium. So, so that ties your hands to to some extent. But uh, you know, you're looking at the managers they've hired. It's you know, I think we sat here on the gagging pod and and were you know in awe. I remember Bridget crying when Mourinho was <laughs> was hired, and and it was like. Well, why? Um, you know, it's such a, you know what you're getting. The same with Conte. Uh, you know, he's got a history of these rants. You know, he, we saw that uh, at Chelsea. We saw it at Juventus. You know, so he's very passionate. And when things start to go askew and it doesn't go his way, you know, he, he throws his, his dummy out. And, you know, he has to go, obviously. But I think the club needs to look within itself. I think that there's going to be other questions asked and I, I'm not sure that Daniel Levy is, is the man to do that. He, he's shown with the managers he's hired that, you know, they're just going down the same path, hiring the same kind of managers. And yeah, I, I agree with Bridget. It must be frustrating if you're a Tottenham fan and if you're in and around that club and you can sense the players as well, are, you know, are frustrated. Bridget, why would you action a manager change now given Conte, even with these dramas, not the first time he's he's had a post-game meltdown, maybe not to this magnitude, but he's definitely had them, is still uh, right in the mix to keep Tottenham in the top four. Do you think the yeah, an interim manager coming in, given the next permanent manager almost certainly won't be available, is the sort of thing that could cost Spurs a Champions League place? It um, depends which way you want to look at it, but uh, you know, Swartzy has just mentioned that if you, you've got players now that are questioning, they want an explanation, they want more in-depth as to who and why and what he said. Um, and, you know, he's, he, I think they're wanting to see what he's got to say. I don't think he's got time to do that because the players, he's lost the players now, I think, for the rest of the season. It's the in, international window, a time to get get a change. And there's talk, you know, you know what made me laugh? And they shouldn't have ever got rid of him. It was the fact that Pochettino's name's come into the equation as well. And I, I was absolutely devastated because I think of all the hard work that he had put into that football club and the players... The players absolutely adored him. Um, there's not many managers less Spurs after him, where the players have sent messages of, of well wishes and things like that. Let me tell you. So he he was he was sorely missed. So the fact that he's getting talked about, I just think Taylor that they need to do it because of what he has said, um, and I can't I, I cannot see it it um, like coming anything good of it. It's just gonna I think it's just gonna boil and boil and boil, and it'll keep going to the end of the season if the players and him don't sort it out. You've got to bring in a manager though that's prepared to deal with or work with the group of players you've got. You can't keep bringing in a manager like uh, a Conte and saying that he wants to bring in all these different players, right? He wants yeah. to b- build a side, he wants to buy a squad. You you have to make the right appointment. You ha- you have to bring a manager that's prepared to work within the parameters of the club. This is how the club works. This is how you are going to work with the players that we have. Plus. These are the type of transfers we're looking at. But Swartz, this the is example what the club I go should have to known is, when they went for Mooney or when they went for Conte. They know they're going to get conflict because the managers that want to have their say and want to control everything. Well, that, that's that's where they've made a massive mistake because the example is the best example I've got is with uh, with Conte is in the summer when they signed Jed Jed Spence, one of the most exciting right backs out of the Championship, who um, Tottenham signed, and when he when they signed him, Conte's words were. I didn't sign him. He's a club signing and he's a player that hopefully one day will be important to the club. I mean, firstly, how about a player signing? He's not going to play under me. Well, exactly. And it's just crazy. He's he's a manager that doesn't play with young players. Doesn't play, doesn't develop young players. You need a manager that's going to be there, develop the young players coming through, develop players that they've bought in, young players and experienced players, talented players, and then the mix of experience. That's what Tottenham do. And, and uh, they've clearly got that wrong in terms of the manager because the manager is nowhere near doing that. Yeah, but you, you can look across to Arsenal. You know, they're, they're also like working within 
tough restraints. They're a publicly listed company. They they've they've got a you know they can't just go out and spend like a Chelsea um, and and they have stuck within those parameters um, and and done it really well. You know they've signed the right players. They've had the the strategy. They've had a manager that that now fits in that strategy. And it's working, and I think Tottenham are far from that. Are you just trying to rub, rub salt in the Spurs fans' faces? You're talking now about Arsenal, how they're managing to cope with it. We're talking about Tottenham and turmoil. Yeah, but that's the truth, and Bridget. Tommy's just sprinkling it's, it's all this Bridget. lemon and salt on, on. The, on the wounds. When you haven't got a manager that is in line with the, the club, with their vision, their philosophy, their parameters, their protocols, whatever you want to call it, they, when, they're, when they're not in sync... And you've got one manager that's wanting to do something completely different what the club want to do, and they're not on the same page. There's going to be conflict, there's going to be frustrations along the way, and that's exactly what's happened here. It's completely boiled over, and it's not the first time. So there's somebody that is making the decisions that are hiring these managers that have got it completely wrong as well. So there's people who have got to be accountable at the football club for Spurs above just the, the manager um, and what he's come out with said, because there is clearly frustrations going on behind the scenes and they haven't got the right manager not on the one occasion now on two occasions but you can understand it from Conte right because Conte is Conte right you, everyone knows what Conte does how he operates how he is at every club so the way he's the way he's carried himself the way he's behaved is exactly what we'd expect from Conte so there's no surprise in that it's just a surprise I suppose it took this long for him to explode I suppose you know coming down to the, the end of his contract and the end of the day, he's like now about well, it's it's about now saving my 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 image and my reputation. I'm gonna just gonna lay blame on everyone else. This is why it hasn't worked. He said he himself said also they've regressed from last season, which is absolutely true. But you can't completely you can't always blame the club and the players. The manager has to take some responsibility for that. And and the way I see it is he's not taking any responsibility for it. He's washing his hands he's of it. He's like it's everyone he? else's fault. Yeah. It's not my fault. It's everyone else's fault, and particularly the club's fault, and then the players on the weekend, which I think is the most out of order bit. Yeah, he's talking about culture. You know, he's talking about the players not having the right mentality and all these things. And and like you said, uh, Swartzy, a manager is in charge of building that culture. So I, I think by saying these things, he's actually pointing to his own failure, uh, and uh, you know he has to obviously take massive responsibility. But he is pointing out some truth, like we've said, uh, about other people and and the club. Well, what's next for Conte? Uh, does he go back into the roundabout of Serie A management? We're about to go into an international window. Is it a case where the super clubs, because they know what they're going to get with Conte and they know how much spending has to accompany any time a club hires him, that maybe international management might be his future? Uh, but what is actually next for Antonio Conte, Michael? You may not care because he won't be at Spurs into the future, but what do you think his next gig will be? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be in at least somewhere I would say Serie A as well because his his record there we've just I've just mentioned it you know winning the win the um, title four times he's you know he's got the Premier League under his belt he's done Serie B I just don't I can't see another English club touching him at this moment in time um, I've got to be honest with you and I, that's why I think if he's going to return it'll either be international management or Serie A definitely without a shadow of a doubt but like you say I don't really care where he goes as long as he just goes. <laughs> I, he might. I reckon he might end up at Leeds United. He might go to Leeds United. Leeds. You know? That that would be a good. That'd be a good move for him. What Don't do you reckon? Don't even listen. I reckon to Thomas. Jibber jabber. He's just trying. To, <laughs> he's just trying to get me to bite even more. 
there's not a lot of clubs he can go to. Bridgie is like a fan of, of all of them, right? So it's he's, he's very limited. He is, isn't he? I mean, if, depending, yeah, there's so many clubs that he could go to and Bridgie would have a, some sort of relationship with. I don't even think Carlisle United would take him at this moment in time. Bridgie, does he get does he get along with Andrea Radriazzini? Is there any history there between those two, between Conte and, and him? I, I know Schwartz is trying to wind you up, but now that I, I'm visualising uh, Conte on the sideline at Elland Road, it's if they had the money for him, it's starting to make sense. Javier Gracia is doing an unbelievable job, so leave him alone. We're not even going to talk about it, but I'm sure Conte and the Leeds owner, they definitely know each other, yeah. They'll have crossed paths and, you know, all the, all the, all the money men with them have definitely seen each other, so... But I'm, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not getting sucked into that. They haven't got the budget. They haven't got the budget, and they, and they don't sort of. They certainly don't fit his playing style yeah. and 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 the vision. There's no way in the world. I, I think I, I agree with Bridgie. I can't see anywhere else other than back in Italy. Um, I mean, that's where I think you know that's where he's been the most successful. Um, not that he hasn't been successful in England because he has, well, obviously, with Chelsea. Um, but everywhere he's been over here, certainly with uh, with Chelsea and Tottenham. I think uh, I certainly know from Chelsea he's left him in a in a worse state when he left as well and I think Tottenham will be the same. I want to talk about the manager shortlist. I know we do this a lot and I know that it's become a habit of mine to just attach Ange Postacoglu's name to every single managerial vacancy. Bridgie, let's start with you. Who do you want managing Spurs into the future and is Tottenham finally a big enough club to lure Ange Postacoglu away from winning at Celtic. Is Tottenham a big enough club to lure Ange Postacoglu? Honestly, you are just giving me shark bait here. You're burying the water up and you're getting me to bite and I'm going to. Of course it's a big enough club. Um, uh, <laughs> does Ange need a project like that? He's come out and he's said in the past, he said he's sick of people touting him off for jobs. He's doing an amazing job at Celtic. And you know what it is, if... if I've seen him, we've all seen him, what he's capable of doing. He, when he gets the job, he, he's, he's a successful, he's a serial winner. So I would back him if he did any, any job Ange gets, but he's got to have the process and the time. Now would not be the time, he wouldn't have a big enough window to sort it out. Um, it would have to be in the off-season. But yes, Tottenham is a big enough club for him. And the candidates that I would like to see, talked about, I've said, Pochettino, I'd love to see come back. But there's a team that I have been absolutely blown away with this season by the style of play and I watched them recently in a 2-2 draw at Elland Road and that's um, De Zerbe of Brighton I think the job that he has done in uh, done since coming in for Potter at Brighton the the dynamics of the team the style of play they knew exactly what they were doing in all, all moments of the game and I thought they were tremendous so he's a manager that I think has got great credentials that I would again would be one that I would take um, would he come to Tottenham from Brighton at this moment in time definitely not because he's in a much better position where he is Going to Ange, talking about Ange, and I don't think he's been linked, has he? Or has no. he been linked? No, he I, I don't think he has. But look, I, I think, I don't think he'll leave Celtic mid-season or, or through the season. There's Not no way DNA. in the world. Um, no, exactly. And I think he's he's very much, uh, you know, by his word and, and, he, and he wants to finish that project. Whether that project finishes in the summer because the, the opportunity comes along somewhere else, who knows? But um, I, I can't for the life of me see him leaving during the season. But I think Spurs would be a really, really good club for him because um, I think he could do something really special there, not necessarily on a huge budget, and, and it would work within the parameters so long as he would have a say in, in the type of players. And I think that's how you would have to operate with a club going forward anyway. Have a recommendation, put it, have an input, not necessarily be the one that always bringing just the players that you want, but have an input in the type of player that you want to fit the system you want to play. So I think that with Ange, that could potentially work really, really well. 
whether he goes or not is another thing. But Deserbi, I, I also think from Brighton would be a, a, a very, very good signing if they could get him. I'm not so sure Pochettino would be a great one to bring back. I really am not so sure. Even though, look, I, I, feel, I thought he was phenomenal at Tottenham. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal what he did. I just don't know whether that, that ship has sailed. I don't know whether that's the right time to bring him back in just yet. Maybe in a couple more years' time, when there's maybe a bigger turnover of players, maybe. I just don't know if this is the right time for him. I think certainly that their decision they have to make uh, and they have to identify what they want to do and, and what's the strategy going forward. Uh, are they sticking with Ryan Mason to the end of the season, waiting for uh, Apostacoglu potentially? You know, I, I think they got to look at someone who can change the culture, you know, who can work on a you know, limited budget, uh, you know, can't sign 100 million pound players uh, unless they sell Harry Kane. We'll come to that. You know, so uh, Winston Company, I think, has, has done a great job at, at Burnley. Can they get him? I'm not sure because they, they'll be going up. I think Thomas Frank as well from uh, Brentford, uh, I think is another opportunity, um, you know, a, a step up for him. And also someone who, who can build a culture and can, can, can get that working because that surely hasn't been uh, the case at Tottenham. So, so I think they've got that decision to make. Do, do they press the bottom now and get a half solution or they you know you know at, at Tuchel or Enrique who is free or, or do they wait to the end of the season and get the, the the proper person I see a couple of problems though with waiting um so you, you either make the decision you, yeah. you get rid of Conte or you keep him if you keep him I think I think they'll they'll they won't they won't qualify for Champions League if they get rid of him that's a massive gamble to say on Ryan Mason to to get them into the Champions League or keep him in the Champions League position would Thomas Frank leave now would Vincent Company leave now? I don't think so. I, I I don't know. I just don't think the the projects both of them are on. I just don't think they'd move mid season. So uh, I, Tottenham's in a really difficult situation. I mean, we saw today one of the latest ones was Harry Harry Redknapp coming out and saying, "I'll take the job until <laughs> oh the end of the season." Um, <laughs> so we'll see. And, rather, and I think that's off I'd the back of because your, Roy. I'd rather see your twin Thomas Tuchel get it. Yeah. See, but see, I, I don't know whether Thomas Tuchel's the right man either because. Is he someone that needs a bigger budget? Does he need to have bigger players? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, I. I don't know whether he's a player, a manager necessarily that was going to be able to work within the, the the, the structure, the restrictions that the club have. Um. So so that that's the problem they've got. So they've got obviously that's why I think they haven't pulled the trigger yet. I think he's they're they're still trying to work out. Is it is it salvageable? Can we work with it between now and the end of the season? Can we can we still then then and then maybe keep in the Champions League or if we don't what are the alternatives and I think I think it's the bigger problem is for them now is deciding on what the alternatives are realizing on paper these are the other alternatives and I think that's their biggest dilemma otherwise I think I think Conte would have been gone yesterday. It's funny you mentioned both Postacoglu and Deserbi both are listed at about eighteen to one right at the uh, near the about sixth or seventh place. Uh, with uh, Pochettino, Glasner, Luis Enrique, Marco Silva, Thomas Tuchel and Vincent Company all at shorter odds at and the remember, moment. remember, always One gamble responsibly. <laughs> Or just save you money. Um, so <laughs> one last one last question on Spurs. Bridgie, we've seen Kylian Mbappe get into a position of power where he can sort of handpick his next manager. We know that in the NBA, LeBron James more or less handpicks whichever coach he has. Is Harry Kane now at a stature where he can have a big say in who the next manager is? 
with Spurs perhaps bearing in mind that if they can't find a $100 million or £100 million bidder for him in the off-season, he may well wind down his contract and leave on a Bosman. And perhaps their only hope of getting Kane to extend his contract, maybe throw in a nice juicy release clause in there, is to hire a manager that Kane wants to work with. Do you know what it is? The stature. Yes, he's definitely got the stature to be able to have that input and that pull and that power without a shadow of a doubt. However, I would love to think that it's not in Harry Kane's mindset that he wants to get involved in that. He's got things to focus on on the pitch. You know, he's taking over and getting Jimmy Greaves' record. He's going for the Premier League all-time scorer, tracking down Alan Shearer. I would like to think that he would be... He he would have some input being the captain of the team to see what's going on at this current climate. But as as opposed to getting a manager in, I didn't like the thing that happened with Mbappe. I don't like it when players can have that much power. Um, so I'd like to think that he was he was a better man than that. And you talk about the contract negotiations, they're trying to get him to sign an extension. Past 2024, I can't see him sign a new deal. And I think they will have to sell. And if they, you know, like you say, even if it's not 100 million, there's a, you know, there's a price that they've got to capitalise and get money for him because the longer it goes to Bosman, obviously there's not. So Man United, I've heard, are going all out to try and sign him in the summer, um, especially if they get a takeover coming through. By Munich want him. Um, and, and like you say, I, I, I can't see him being a Spurs player next season. So I'd, I really don't think for the remainder of this season, Harry Kane would want to have any input in that. He'll just concentrate on what Harry Kane has got to do. I'd love to see him at Bayern Munich. I don't think he'll go. I think he'll go to Man United. But I'd love to see him at Bayern Munich because I reckon he'd be unbelievable there. That's the thing they have to do. They take a step back, you know, sell Harry Kane, you know, who's been there and, and done a great job for the club. Let him move on. I think he should move on. And then you you got a hundred million you can possibly spend uh, with a new manager on, you know, the, a direction that uh, that he wants to go. I think it's you know I think it has to do it has to be that way. Question for you, Sporty. You know a lot more about the Bundesliga than than myself. Um, obviously, with the the climate of transfers, could Bayern afford to sign Harry Kane, or would they only be in the market if it was a Bosman signing? No, I think they no, they definitely can afford to buy him, hundred percent. I mean, they they bought uh, Hernandez for sixty five million euros, um, like two seasons ago. Uh, they bought De Ligt for for fifty or sixty million euros as well. So off Juve, so no, they they've or seventy even, I think it was. So they've got they they so can they're, they're in the market. They can they're, do a yeah. They can do a big signing. I, I just don't think I don't think a hundred million pounds. I don't think they'd be spending that sort of money. But I reckon around the 70, 80 million uh, euros, I reckon they would they would definitely be involved. Um, but we'll see. And a question for Tommy. I know you're not a striker, Tommy. You're a goalkeeper. But <laughs> think about this. I one. wish I was, Bridget. Harry I wish now, I was. Jimmy Greaves' record at Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> you get the limelight, pal. <laughs> to, you know he's got the record at Tottenham Hotspur to leave the Premier League and go somewhere like Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, or go to a Man United to try and get that Alan Shearer all-time Premier League record goalscorer decision there. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, again, he wants to play at the highest level, but I, I think. I think he has unfinished business in England and I think he would love to to win the Premier League and as you said the records um you know are also important. So yeah, I would love to see him at Man United. Uh, I think it would be a piece that uh, they could really use. I think it'll be a good fit as well because that's what you got to look at. You know, you know we've seen English players going uh, you know to Spain and and struggle uh you know because it you know it is a you know language uh, a different culture. Does he need that at this moment in time? I'm, I'm not sure. It depends on, you know, you know him probably better as a person. You know, he seems very introvert, um, you know, uh, some, a family man who doesn't, you know, uh, go out much and, and, and just, 
you know loves to play football. Um, so I think I think Man United will be a, a, a great fit with with the players he he'll have around it with Rashford and Fernandes and and, and everyone else, Eriksen. So yeah, they, 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 the service that he needs is there. Yeah, I, I think that's the easiest move for him. The the the, the simplest and easiest. Um, smoothest move for him is to go to Manchester United if, if that if that was still a possibility come the summer we'll have to wait and see uh, 100% but I actually think he'd have more chance of winning say the Champions League if he goes to Bayern than if he stays if he goes to Man United um, but only time will tell moving on to Crystal Palace now and the decision to sack Patrick Vieira and bring in Roy Hodgson we thought Watford was one last ride well I hate to, to be a little morbid, but is Roy Hodgson the Pope? Is he going to have to <laughs> perhaps leave this, this mortal coil while employed in order to actually resign from management? Is he not allowed to just enjoy his garden and some lazy Saturday afternoons without being summoned back to work? Hey, he's Batman. He's Batman out of retirement. They've, they've put the bat sign, they've turned it on. He's come to their rescue. <laughs> it's... Uh, to be fair, I think it's an incredible. It's a bit incredible story. Uh, you know, seventy-five years old, uh, and even with his re- recent record, like he's he, he's won only I think it's six games in his last thirty-four Premier League games. Like what? He won two at Watford out of his last eighteen. He, he won four out of his last sixteen at Crystal Palace before he left. You know, so it's not like he's coming in with a, a great record as well. You know, he's had a great career and done great things for football. And I, I had a chance to meet him when he. He came down to Melbourne City uh, through the City Group, and lovely man knows hell of a lot about football. Um, but whew, you know, it, it seems it seems a weird match at this moment in time, and, and reeks of desperation. It just shows how short-sighted football is. It, it's familiarity, right? So he's been there, he knows yeah, the club. There's the, the, there's a kind of a that that eliminates a lot of risk, right? The question is, at seventy-five, is he still? At that level, can he still deliver? Can he get this team working? But a lot of the team know him. A lot of the players know him. And obviously the club know him. And he knows the club. So as we all know, it's a stopgap. It's it's that it's the whole thing about Spurs, where Spurs are in. What are Spurs going to do between now and the end of the season? Palace made the decision. And the, the next part was to bring in a stopgap until the end of the season. And that's what Palace have done. They don't want to make any rash decisions. They want to make sure they're in the Premier League come the start of next season. So there, before they make a decision on the next manager, or, or at least see where they are next come next season. Back to Patrick Vieira, did he have to go? I, I think results based. There's obviously a very strong. There's a strong case for him to have to go, but I think it's more about what's going on behind the scenes, day to day, week to week, and um, Steve Parrish seeing how Vieira is reacting, how the players reacting, and he's been in long enough. Uh, as as a club chairman to know when the right time is. I, I, he's not someone that pulls the trigger just haphazardly. I know he did it with De Boer, but then I, I've heard a lot of things behind the scenes and it was very obvious he needed to get rid of him. And, th- and they, they kind of almost knew within the first couple of weeks they needed to get rid of him, but they just thought that was too soon. Um, so I, I, I think it's a decision that makes sense in terms of why they found a stopgap. But I don't know. We'll, we'll, only time will tell whether it's the right one now, the right appointment. Can I just say though, what a time to get an appointment? Do you know what I mean? Like he, he comes in, Hodgson is back. Like you say, the the bat signs come up, Tommy. I love that. And the next five matches, they've played five teams that are below them. Can you believe? It's unbelievable. So they've got Leicester, they've got Leeds, they've got Saints, Everton, and Wolves. Like man, he could go five. He could go five wins straight and just become given the key to the city. What the the key to the whole of London? 
At Crystal Palace. That's, that's a big statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not the real palace. Well, maybe just, just the Crystal Palace. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe just Sellers Park. Sellers Park then later on so he can turn the lights off and close the gates when he's finished. I, I, this comes back to the chat we have every week where the relegation battle just gets even more compressed. We're heading for perhaps the greatest final day of the season of all time. But in the interim, we get no closer to working out who's good or who's, who's not to the point where I've tried to get you to guarantee me who will stay up. I've tried to give, get you to guarantee me who's nailed on to go down. Now there's no point asking because really, until that final, you could start the final day of the season in 12th and still get relegated, which at this stage is absolutely wild. But so my, my question about Palace is a bigger picture one. And it's kind of the clubs that are in the hamster wheel running until they fall off, lacking a point of difference. I think Patrick Vieira was for quite a while there. Palace's point of difference, some of the young players they'd brought through, they, they seem to have found players that were just the right level of good enough for the Premier League but not so good that they were immediately getting you know purchased by Man U, Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea so on and so forth. But how hard is it to carve out an identity when your existence is perpetual survivalism and you don't actually have that you know Brentford-like or Brighton-like point of difference to separate you from a permanent battle against relegation it's tough there's so much money at, at you know at stake um and you know i've i've been at uh you know obviously clubs that that are sort of mid-table and and uh you know sometimes we've been near the bottom and and it is very short-sighted you, you can sense that around the club there's you know uh, you know the, the the money is hugely important and, and plays a big part so so it's hard to think long term when you're in that situation you know, it's easier when you're sort of you know, top half of the table uh, constantly and, and, and closer to the Champions League and European places. Um, but that comes with pressure as well. And we see that with Tottenham now as well. So, so there's just a constant rumble. And, and it's hard for clubs not to be in that hamster wheel, you know, just, just looking season to season. Um, because from fans, from media, that constant, uh, that the constant pressure just, I think, just feeds that. And that's the, the Premier League we have and the top of football we have. Well, I feel I'm I'm thinking about Swatches or Club Leicester. Uh, they are in absolute freefall, and if you, if you think how heavily hit they were from from COVID, obviously they've got the duty free um, company, the King Power, um, and you you think how how they've been hurt financially. Um, obviously, the tragedy um, with the helicopter crash, with the owner sadly passing away. It's just been you know they've had a nightmare run this football club, and I. I really feel this season because Brendan Rodgers at the start of the season there was that many players getting sold. Um, obviously Harry Suter's come in. I just hope we don't see Harry Suter back in the Championship next season because the way things are going and the run of form that they are on, this this club is going down. And I, I don't think I would have said that five or six weeks ago, but they're, they're in free fall. I agree. You know, the, the problem is the financial uh, rewards of being in the Premier League, as we all know, is so so significant. Clubs will make decisions uh, pretty well. I wouldn't say pretty quickly. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at Patrick Vieira, he's had what twenty seven games, um, and he did start very very well. But I think it's more about the decline, the slide that they've been on. They haven't won a single Premier League game this year, this calendar year, which obviously is a huge concern for them. Um, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that that they made that decision, and, and therefore they, they're going to continuously make those decisions. And and Palace, I said it before, Palace are a club that are trying to change the way they play and, and, and go away from a certain type of manager. But every time they do it, it kind of Patrick Vieira was a, was another another attempt and it worked for a little while. And then the minute it started to go a bit pear-shaped, 
they pushed the panic button. Um, but I can understand why they did it. One more topic affecting the Premier League, and it comes out of the FA Cup weekend. Uh, today, I will get you to give me your prediction. How long should Alexander Mitrovic be banned for, for his push on the referee? Fulham, a minute of madness, Marco Silva, William and Mitrovic all sent off. They capitulated from 1-0 up against Manchester United to be knocked out of the FA Cup. But the burning issue long-term will be exactly how long Mitrovic gets banned for, for what was quite simply a brain explosion. Absolute brain explosion. And do you know where this came from? This stemmed from his manager as well. Um, Silver losing his blob on the sideline for no, you know, and and I think almost made the players react in the way Mitrovic is a firehead anyway. We know that. That's why we absolutely love him because he's so passionate and he wants. He's a, he's a true winner. He lost his lid. He's put his hands on him. And if you if you think back, I remember Cristiano Ronaldo, Real Madrid, received a five match ban when he pushed um, the referee in the Super Cup final. I do believe it was. And then the one that I remember, which was absolutely priceless, was Paolo Di Canio. He received an eleven match ban when he pushed the referee Paul Alcott. Now Paul Alcott went down in history because he fell and did a couple of rolls. He he, he went to the ground so easily I would have sent him off for fake an injury but they're the kind of bands that you're talking about and I think Mitrovic is going to going to get something 10, 10 games minimum as well because of what he's done but my argument to this uh, and I've got nothing against Manchester United Fernandez did something similar for Manchester United when he touched a linesman and he got away with it so there's there's still an inconsistency so they're going to have to be very careful what, the, what they do and, and how long the ban is but he's he's definitely getting banned I think the big difference, Bridgie, here is he's, he's pushed, but I think it's also what was said as well. Uh, apparently, he used uh, abusive language, uh, same from the bench. And, and again, it, it's the, the whole thing because the bench, I think, started it. You know, it was not just uh, you know the manager, it was the assistant. Everyone was, was apparently uh, pretty vocal and, and disgusting in, in what they said and, and very personal. Uh, and, and that set the tone for then... Um, Mitrovic to you know obviously lose his head. Uh, you can say that Fulham and were gone in sixty seconds from the red card on the line to to everything else. You know they they he's pulling all they, the puns they, out here. Yeah, yeah, but for sure, you know they, it was a total meltdown. And um, he, he, again, he he should be punished uh, harshly because you can't. You know this is the integrity of the game. You know it, the referees. We know we can't. You know we we we, we all you know set things and in, in, in our disgust or whatever, but. You know, this was way, way over the line, and, and you you have to set a precedent. Firstly, the first red card for William, well, I think that was the second, wasn't it? Or even possibly the third red card. I don't even know anymore because of the way it all happened. But Williams, I think, was a red card. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. What Silver did is just madness. Like, manager losing his head completely and, and deserves to be sent off. Mitrovic, the push is one thing, right? So the minute you touch a referee, and it was aggressive, aggressively, and there's nothing, it, it's an elbow sort of shove, right? But it's for me. It was more about he gets a yellow red card, and then he the referee keeps backing off. If the referee hadn't backed up, Mitrovic would have gone full frontal against him, yeah, and would have gone like would have chested him, probably pushed him over, probably could have even got nasty. The referee hadn't have backtracked because Mitrovic wasn't stopping. So for me, it was more about also that. So not only it's the touch, but it's the way he carried mm. on and reacted. Uh, and we haven't seen Mitrovic behave like that for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, uh, look. I think it's far worse than than, than what um, Fernandez has had in the past. I, I, I think he, I think they're gonna they're gonna make an example of him. I don't think there's no other way about. Not even an example of him. I, I think it's more about they've got to stomp down on yeah. it to make sure 
and 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 repeat to everyone else look any touching of the referee any kind of that sort of behavior is going to be dealt with very harshly i i think they need to for the for the good of football football is for for way too long has allowed players to do, to be too abusive managers to be abusive to referees to officials and and look i'll go on a greater thing here it all goes down to grassroots football mm-hmm. people behave and get even worse at grassroots football because there's little respect if not no respect for officials and that happens on match days at the very top let alone down the grassroots level when you see coaches and parents doing it on the sideline Swartzy that's when the kids get absolutely um, you know and where do they see it it comes from so with Mitrovic has done exactly the same he's seen his gaffer have a go so he feels like he's entitled to have a go but, as well. So but, you know, but the bigger, but the bigger picture is suit doesn't matter what age. Yeah, but, but but the bigger picture is that it's the Premier League. It's one of the best be, best leagues in the world. It's beamed around the world. Obviously, that was the FA Cup, which is one of the biggest cup competitions on the planet, oldest one, and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people are watching it and seeing it. So they they have to set the example. Um, and I, I'm all for officials becoming a lot harsher and a lot stricter on on that sort of behavior towards officials it has to it has to stop at the top first before it trickles all the way down yeah and also talk talk about losing sight of where you are in the game you know you know it, it, it wasn't really a debatable oh. situation it was like you know clear cut especially after you when, watch it in in slow motion and 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 for 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 that situation at 1-1 it wasn't a last minute winner it was it was the it was the goal at 1-1 or potentially could have saved the penalty and and f- and going from there to actually throw the game away, talk about just absolutely losing sight of everything. Uh, I think that that is also a it's not even controversial. No, no, that's the like thing. The, the, the decision to send William off is not even no. controversial. That's the thing that I don't understand. Yeah. There's there's absolutely zero reason for them to behave like they did. It, it, it's complete madness, madness to to do it. Um, I mean, what that one out. Do you know? Do you know you got you know that um, moment of madness that gone in sixty seconds? He talked about when Mitrovic is getting ten games. It nearly cost me my marriage. I nearly got divorced because I spilled a bo- I spilled a glass of red wine on our carpet because I was that uh, when I was like I, w- I went what what the hell's just happened? And as I turned quickly to have a look at the TV, when you saw Silver and then Mitrovic get I, honestly I hit this I hit me glass of red wine. It went all over the cream carpet, and my life was not worth living that evening with the wife. So um, Mitrovic has cost me a, a, a lot of trouble at home as well. And tell me, tell me, what other outcome was there ever going to be, right? From the manager's behaviour to Mitrovic's behaviour, the referee will never change his mind. It doesn't matter how much you abuse him, how much you run after him, he's not going to change his mind, right? So it's just complete lack of uh, losing losing one's discipline, and and uh, and it's and and to be they've killed it. They killed it for Fulham, you know, to to have had an opportunity to get through to the quarterfinals of an FA Cup, which is which is crazy. So very quickly, uh, the semi-finals. Does anyone see a scenario other than a Manchester derby in the final? City have got Sheffield United. Brighton have got Manchester United. Does anyone see a semi-final upset at Wembley? Yeah, Brighton. Manchester City taking on Brighton in the final because Brighton will beat Manchester United. Uh, yeah, I think I think it, you know, it's a touch if, and go. If uh, the Man United game, I, I think it's it's you know Brighton. It's neutral ground. Ooh, they're they're going to bring you know the, the whole of Brighton will will be uh, going to Wembley, and uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere. And they, you know I think they're in a form where you can actually say yes, they got a great chance. It's just whether the occasion gets too much for Brighton and the players playing at Wembley on that big stage. Whereas Manchester United have got players who are more used to playing at that level. That that's the only thing. But if if both teams 
put out their best game, uh, it's going to be a very, very tight game, a very close game. Um, and and uh, and if Brighton play like they've been playing and Manchester United is slightly off, then it's going to be Brighton all day long. Yeah. Stay with us here on the Gigan Pod. We've got El Clasico to look at, plus a massive international break, which you'll be able to watch live and exclusive on Optus Sport. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Gegen Pod. We've got Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen, and Michael Bridges as our panel this week. And we need to talk about El Clasico because it was billed as the biggest match in club football. And certainly for incidents and drama, it did deliver. However, as far as the game itself, with Barcelona winning 2-1 to one and uh, pulling 12 points clear, not only do I ask you, is the title race now over in Spain, but... Was this the final El Clasico at the end of an era for many of the players from the Messi and Ronaldo generation as quite a few of them ended up looking their age? Oh, I think the easy one, uh, Theo, is, is definitely, uh, you know, I can't see uh, Real Madrid coming back. Uh, you know, it's four games, literally, and the form and consistency that Barcelona have shown, I think it hasn't been overly impressive. And even in this game, it, you know, they just did enough, um, you know, and, but they're, they're solid. They're, they're playing a different kind of, of football under Xavi. You know, they're, they're really, you know, solid at the back and, uh, you know, not conceding many goals, not scoring many, but just being heavy, like very, very efficient. And, and I think Real Madrid, you know, looking at them, they're, they're going to do well in the Champions League, but... I still think they're lacking, especially at the back. I don't think they are as good as they, they were in the past. Um, Rudiger, I'm, I'm not too sure that, that he's uh, you know as good as Ramos was when, when he was on, on top form. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think it's, it's a fair sort of assessment of, of where they actually are league-wise. Uh, Real Madrid, obviously, I think it will still, you know, get far in the Champions League and, and, uh, and potentially win it, but... Yeah, no, it, it's a done deal, definitely, in the La Liga. Um, look, I think when you look at the, 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 the turnover of players, and, and, and certainly, like, you know, Busquets, will he still be there next, you know, come next season? Um, you look at uh, Real Madrid, and players are obviously getting older and older. Modric, Cruz, uh, Benzema. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I think, yeah, look, it's not obviously the same El Clasico as it's been. What we've seen in the past though, with Barcelona and Real Madrid, and we've always seen is that, there is the new El Clasicos, you know, the new generation of players, the new superstars coming through. Um, <clears throat> Barcelona are, though, playing a very, very different style of football to what they're used to. And that's kind of kind of strange, isn't it, under, under someone like Xavi, how good Xavi uh, has been uh, as a footballer. Um, so I think the question is as well, if Ancelotti doesn't win the Champions League with Real Madrid, will he lose his job? Because he's lost, he's lost the La Liga title. Because I think I don't think they've got a chance of winning the La Liga title anymore. And if he doesn't win the Champions League, is that him gone? Does him winning the Champions League save his job? Yeah, you know I think it's it's a it's a good thing to point out, uh, Swartz. I think uh, 
you know, with the pressure and everything else in, in Spain, I think, you know, there's, there's we, we, the, you know, winning things is the only success, really. And that's what you measured by. So I think you could be right. But I think there's, you know, obviously Pedri didn't play in this game. He, he was injured. Uh, but, you know, Xavi, I think they're, they're, uh, Gavi, they, I think there's, you know, there's still so many exciting things. I thought Rafinha, again, showed that, you know, he's a, such an exciting player. Lewandowski have sort of dropped off a little bit after that fantastic start he has, he had. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it's also, it's always going to be fascinating at Classico, but these clubs will always attract the best players. So, yes, older players will go, but new players will come in and, and they'll both be on a spending spree come the summer and, and we'll be all excited again. So these these games will never go away. El Clasicos will, will always be, you know, what one of the games that everyone is looking forward to. Will Barcelona still go on a spending spree? Will they still be the Barcelona come after the summer? Because obviously... Hey, they'll sell more percentages of their future earnings. <laughs> Don't worry well, about that. They, apparently, <laughs> well, they've got to get, get off 180-odd million euros off their wage bill. And obviously, they've got a pending case regarding bribery claims as well. And supposedly, uh, Perez, for the very first time... Um, uh, cancelled their dinner. another podcast. This is I about know, El Clasico. Barcelona have won the league. Real Madrid are going to win the Champions League potentially. Could, uh, could it be the last time Man Barcelona win it for, for, for a long time? Could it be? Let's hope not. Let's hope not. We're going into an international break now and Optus Sport is your home of it. 46 games before the 29th of March. You are going to be spoilt for choice. And on the very first day of Euro 2024 qualifying, Italy plays England in a rematch of the 2021 final. It is a tough way to start a group that neither team should have any excuses for not qualifying out of. With that said, how much are you looking forward to this one, Bridgie? The chance to exact a little bit of revenge and also take control of a qualifying group with with, uh, Italy's shaky record qualifying for World Cups, more so than Euros, in the back of their mind. Yeah, I think both teams, obviously, when you look at the group with Malta, North Macedonia and Ukraine, both teams are expected to qualify and there's no better. You know, when I saw the amount of matches that are coming up to sport, you're thinking, oh, yes, here we go. International football's back. The European qualifiers, we've just got over the World Cup and I'm thinking, here we go. And the first one is against Italy. So I'm just hoping and praying that England can get the job done just to get rid of a little bit and a bit of revenge for that 21 final defeat. Um, but yeah, it should be a very, very interesting game. And Gareth Southgate had a few injury things to do with as well um, in the England squad. So this this should be an absolute cracker of a game and I'm getting myself all sorted to just chill the hell out and watch this game on the Thursday night. Certainly, Mark, from a selection point of view, Gareth Southgate, uh, we know that he's, he's married to his favourites, but you look at the likes of Harry Maguire, Calvin Phillips and John Stones just not playing much at all. No Marcus Rashford, no Mason Mount, no Ryan Sterling and no Nick Pope. Uh, Ivan Tony has been called up in spite of the uh, gambling cloud that hangs over him. Still no Tomori from AC Milan. And, and we did say before the World Cup that uh, those Milan performances against Chelsea may have disproportionately counted against him. But what do you make of Gareth Southgate's squad? And is he calling in too many players that will be rusty for such a blockbuster as this one? Well, I think, you know, partly some of it's to do with having his... Um uh, his hands tied, right, because of those injuries. So that's obviously a big issue for for Gareth. I, I think the, the big question is um, leaving leaving Tamori out, which was which was quite a I think a shock really for me because considering how many center, center halves are struggling and have been struggling uh, for game time as and, and also with that comes form. Um, and I think that that was probably one of the things that that, that uh, surprised me. Tammy Abraham. Um, 
doing well in Italy, scoring goals, um, has the last two seasons now. Again, for whatever reason, doesn't fit into Gareth Southgate's plans. Um, tough one for him. Sterling is out injured. Uh, Mason Mount now is pulled out of his will, like you said. So that that is a big concern for him. Um, he's up against it. It's, t- it's going to be a really, really tough game away in Italy. Uh, the Italians, like you said, they, they, they've been good in Euros, but they've been really poor when it comes to World Cup qualifiers. Um, and I think Roberto Marchini must, Mancini must be on his last chance saloon um, because I can't see him. If he, if he struggles now with these Euro qualifiers, um, which I find it difficult to believe they will, but if they did, um, then he's going to be right up again. I can't imagine him staying in his job. Yeah, but can't we say that about both managers? Surely it's uh, Southgate's, uh, you know, so there's you know, a lot of pressure on, on these two managers going into this. Yes, you know, looking at the group, they, they, they should both qualify. Uh, but any sort of slip up, any sort of uh, chink in the armor, I think uh, you know these managers, you know, could be out of a job uh, pretty quickly. You know, so so this game, I think I'll be looking with interest. Um, you know, for sure, it, it's going to be massive. I mean, Ukraine, as we know, are a competitive team, albeit a nation preoccupied with the war against Russia. North Macedonia did knock Italy out of World Cup qualifying. So, I mean, there are banana skins, there are plausible banana skins there. Uh, And also England's performances, I know they had a good World Cup, but gee, they were awful in the Nations League. And you think of them getting smacked 4-0 by uh, by Hungary. The Nations League. Come on, Teo. You can't compare the World Cup to the Nations League, It's it's, like my Sunday League team playing at a weekend. But Bridgie, it's that generation of players. It's it's kind of when the squad depth gets tested. That's what we saw in the Nations League. And I guess Mancini might have the fallback of Italy going to the Nations League semi-finals if, if they were to stack it in the group. But I don't know. We, we assume that the big nations take care of business, but that's what makes it a fascinating game. Of the other fixtures, uh, I just wanted to throw it out there. If, if anything grabs your attention, for instance, Ronaldo is closing in on 200 caps. If he plays both games uh, for Portugal, he'll be up to 198, I believe. Zlatan is back in the Sweden squad. They, they just can't seem to quit him. And Mbappe has been named the captain of France, and they have a blockbuster game against the Netherlands. You know, you talked about Ronaldo and Zlatan being back. You know, Martinez has taken over at Portugal. You, you would think, you know, looking at the squad and all the talent and the young players they have, and, and just also how Ronaldo ended the World Cup with his tantrums and everything else, he must have had some serious sit-down with him uh, and a buy-in uh, because otherwise I don't have a clue what's going on. Uh, I know he's, he's, a, he's a good player, he, he can have a role, but you know, unless he can fit in and, and, and settle down and, and, and just be that role player, uh, I don't know why he's in the squad. Um, you know, great to see Mbappe being handed the, the, um, the armband. I think it, it's great for, for France. Uh, Lloris is obviously retired and uh, it's a new way forward. He's, he's their main man. He showed it at the World Cup. He's the leader on the pitch and, and I'm sure he is off the pitch as well. So that makes sense. Uh, but I'm looking forward to Denmark, Finland. This is, I need, I need Denmark back on track because we had a shocking World Cup. So I'll be, I'll be watching with interest uh, on Friday morning. Denmark lost to Australia, right? 
yeah they did too i was there yeah no we weren't at the we weren't at the world cup (laughs) maybe we weren't there i don't know we didn't turn up at least speaking of getting back on track after the world cup of course so schwartzy now that germany can't get out of the group i I see they've gone down the qatar path of uh, they'll just host the tournament and thus they don't have to get through qualifying absolutely why not do it any way you can as long as you get there i thought italy were were very much involved as well as trying to host a tournament just so they could qualify for a world cup as well i think it's going to be a joint italy germany bid I can see that actually happening. <laughs> just just quickly, does anyone have any new thoughts on the Socceroos? I know we went in-depth on the squad last week, but the matches against Ecuador are now upon us. There doesn't seem to have been any real revelations as to what Graham Arnold's going to be doing with his team so far, and certainly a case where I think just you know the nation's trying to build a bit of hype around Australia being back at home and, and playing some home games. Bridgie, from afar, do you have any profound thoughts on, on what the Socceroos will be trying to get out of these two games against Ecuador? I think just be trying to get out of it on and, and looking to put on a good performance and get some experience with some of the new players and, and you know gather momentum from what Graham Arnold did in the, in the World Cup with this group of players. Um, everything from now on is about trying to get up the, the FIFA World Rankings and, and get yourself you know as sorted and as best position that you can. So that, that's what they'll be looking to do and come out unscathed. Well, a couple of quick hits to finish the Gegenpod then. Uh, tomorrow morning, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, but on Thursday morning, Leon are playing Chelsea in the Women's Champions League, which means it's Ellie Carpenter against Sam Kerr. These are two-legged quarterfinals, but uh, I'll get a prediction from you gentlemen to begin with. Who have you got? The defending champions and holders, Leon, or the WSL champions, Chelsea? Are you picking Kerr or Carpenter to prevail in the Battle of Aussies? I am taking Kerr and I'm taking Kerr for Chelsea because they've just got a great result at the weekend, just gone as well. They've gone back top of the WSL. They've only lost one game this season and Leon as well have only lost one game this season. They're top of their division. It's going to be an absolute classic and I'm taking Chelsea and Sam Kerr over the two legs. Yeah, and Chelsea, they rested Kerr at the weekend uh, in the FA Cup. So, um, you know, so they're coming in there. In, in, as you said, Bridget, in, in great form. I think they've improved from last season. I think they were struggling at the back, uh, signed a couple of players. I think they've uh, just added uh, another layer to 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 their team. Um, and Leon, yeah, great to see this matchup with Carpenter. Great that she's back and and uh, hopefully can find some great form leading towards the World Cup. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tight one. But I agree with Bridget. I'm going Chelsea as well. I hope Chelsea win, um, but. Leon, Leon are a good side and have been a good side for a long, long time. And and winning the winning the Champions League last season was was a was a big one as well. Um, I, look, I think it's going to be a really, really tough game. Uh, home and away, um, it's going to be the finest of margins. And I, I, look, I I hope Chelsea. But I'm a bit a bit afraid for them. Well, wow. okay, I'm going to go against the grain. I think uh, all the French players, with Hervé Renard about to sign as French national team manager for the Women's World Cup, will all be enthused. Uh, many of them will realise that their international careers are going to be back on after being frozen out by Corinne Diac, and that heightened level of excitement will see them uh, beat Chelsea here. But we'll have to wait and see. One last question. Now, Arsenal may have been knocked out of the Europa League by Sporting Club of Portugal in spectacular fashion too. But the the big headline out of the game was that Kim Kardashian was spotted in the crowd and uh, <laughs> Kanye West and her kids were wearing Arsenal kits. So, gentlemen, 
I want to know who is the biggest celebrity that came to watch you in your entourage. Did you ever sort out VIP tickets for someone? Did a did a celebrity ever pop up outside the dressing room trying to get an autograph from you or trying to get a selfie during your career? Who is the biggest name that came to watch you during your career? Now, are you ready for this? I'm going to chuck one out there early doors. Right? <laughs> Bear in mind, I didn't have a clue that this guy used to come and watch, but I found out recently that a guy called Matt Lewis, who is an, an actor, all right, and he's very famous for the Harry Potter movies because he was Neville Longbottom. He's a massively United fan, and it wasn't until recently I was doing a podcast with him and I realised who it actually was, and I made a right fool of myself because Tyler Adams um, is the American, and obviously he's a lot younger than me, he was a massive Harry Potter fan, so I've just been speaking to Matt Lewis and he's saying, Michael, I used to come and watch you all the time. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, cheers, Matt. And I, I did not have a clue that it was never Longbottom until Tyler Adams came on the screen and he said, oh, it's great to meet you. And I was like, oh, you know, the egotistical footballer. I went, oh, yeah, thanks, man. I'm looking forward to doing this. And he went, no, no, not you. He went, Matt Lewis, I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. So I was totally gazumped, but Matt Lewis used to come and watch me play for Leeds United. So yeah, there you go. That, that's that's. Bridget, did your kids not watch the Harry Potter movies, or were you were you hey? not watching along? I mean, did they miss? Did your generation miss Harry Potter? We love Harry Potter. He's just unrecognisable nowadays. But my daughter cannot believe that I was speaking to Matt Lewis or the guy off Harry Potter. She, it doesn't matter what I've done in my football career or after my football career. She's, and obviously she's seen you guys as well. I still don't get any kudos for working with you guys. As soon as she saw me chatting to Matt Lewis, that is it. Dad is the best dad in the world now. You know, I, I remember at, at Stoke City, we were, um, we were in a dressing room before a game and, and we were told that somebody would come uh, and uh, in pops Sugar Ray Leonard, the, uh, the, cl- <laughs> the, you know, the legendary boxer. Uh, and, and he, I don't know how to he be became lost. a Stoke City fan. Seriously, but, but he had he, to be lost. Why would he go to a Stoke game? <laughs> he was on the wrong flight. <laughs> yeah, he, you know what? Big club, big club. And uh, and he, he gave us a you know a typical American little uh, little pep up speech and, and a, a few boxing uh, you know a few uh, hit outs and you know what what they do. Um, you know, so I think you know you're looking at you know at, at you know, it's always. You know, it's quite surprising sometimes. Where, you know, who support different clubs, and at Villa, it was you know, Tom Hanks and Prince Prince William as well. You know, so you oh, know they always chucking them all in now. He's name dropping everywhere. Yeah, but but again, you you, know, so you you don't see them though. You know, that's the thing. You know, you hear about people being at games, but you, but you don't see them. But. Yeah, I think Sugar Ray Leonard is the only one who I've actually seen up close because he was in the dressing room. How close was Tony Pulis to throwing him on the bench just in case he got willing, Tom? <laughs> he would have thrown anyone on the bench. I think I think there was negotiations beforehand before he came in. He was testing his throat with Rory Delap in the train, the train room <laughs> hey, before the game. He was, he was, he was just adding another weapon, mate. He was just adding another weapon. <laughs> Schwartzy, these two have set a pretty high bar. Can you match it? So, um, yeah, Fulham, uh, Hugh Grant used to come and watch us play quite a lot. Um, oh, used to see him quite a bit Ooh, um, as, he, uh, as he walked around the outside of the pitch and was warming up in goal there. Bit of a bit of a nod of the head, you know, as he walked past. Um, so, yeah, he used to come up quite a bit. Um, then Chelsea, uh, Niall Horan. Uh, used to be there. Uh, used to be at the training ground. Used to used to have quite a lot of chats with him. Taught him how to give a proper handshake because he used to shake shake hands with a really limp hand. And I said to him, "Mate, come on, that's not how you shake a hand." So um, yeah, nice guy, really nice guy. Um, never watched me play because I was always on the bench or if I was in the stand. So he never actually watched me play. Um, and then obviously playing for Australia. 
Um, we had uh, John Travolta, Kelly Preston uh, there at the game, coming to the coming to the uh, coming to the uh, the change room after the game, and uh, and had a bit of a, a bit of a sing along with him as well. So that was pretty cool as well. And then he came to South Africa to watch us in South Africa as well. Came to our training uh, uh, hotel complex and uh, usual usual photo and bit of a chit chat as well, which was nice. So. Swarty, what, like, do a whole I, I don't know. So what, what's, Swarty and his fr- famous friends. <laughs> but what's the connection, though? What's the connection with Travolta? Um, Has he got some? Yeah, John Travolta. So when we played against Uruguay back in uh, 2005, it was Qantas's, I think, 75 years uh, birthday. I think it's 75 years, and he was a he's an ambassador for Qantas. Um, oh, okay. He's a, he's a, you know he's a fully qualified uh, uh, pilot. So he's he's actually flown he's flown some commercial airlines as well, like so commercial uh, flights for for Qantas, and he has his own couple of couple of planes. Uh, so he and Kelly Preston were invited out, and they were there, and there was a massive uh, show of a couple of jumbos flying over the stadium before the game because um, they were the major sponsor of the team. Oh, I've got one more. Sorry, I got one more. I forgot. I got I forgot. I got Pat Cash a couple of times tickets to come and watch us play at Fulham as well. And his son. How can I forget right. Pat Cash? I <laughs> played tennis with him as well, you know. So yeah, I'll throw that one in as well. <laughs> At Queens, um, you already come on, Swats. You already won. Like you don't need to keep going. <laughs> you know, well, I knew, I knew once we started the once we turned the name dropping tap, I knew we'd struggle to turn it off. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to drop your first. <laughs> I'm going to drop your three names for the last time: Mark Schwartz, Neville Longbottom. I love it, <laughs> and Neville Longbottom. Thank you very much for joining us on the Gegen Pod this week. Thanking you. The Premier League is on international break, but returns with the blockbuster on Saturday, April 1st, when Manchester City host Liverpool. The WSL has six live games this weekend, including Sam Kerr's Chelsea away at Manchester City from 10.40pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday night. And Euro 2024 qualifying kicks off with a bang on Friday morning with eight live games, including Italy against England from 6.45am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. It is one of 46 live games all on Optus Sport through until Wednesday morning. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. My name's Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegenpot.